This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 7, Episode 50. This is Writing Excuses, outlining the merry way. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I actually think Mary is that smart. Yeah. I'm Howard. We did this um, with Dan's kind of seven-point thing. Mary actually has a, a distinctive way of outlining. We get so many questions about outlining. We thought we would, you know, you've heard mine over and over again. Let's talk about Mary's method. So my method is um, significantly more freeform than, than Dan's. His is very much a way of looking at structuring the story, and mine is a, a more of a an approach that is like thinking of the outline as a roadmap. It helps you determine the overall shape of the novel, but it doesn't lock you into the structure if you stumble on something more interesting. And so that's that's the first thing that I think of. The second thing is that I approach writing as a series of layers, mm-hmm. um, the same way I draw. So I have my thumbnail sketch, which we were, we brainstormed when we were working on. Yes. Yes. So then I do after my thumbnails, then I do my rough sketch, mm-hmm. which is my outline. Okay. And How then, long is that? Um, no, actually, no. I'm sorry. My rough sketch is my synopsis. Okay. So um, that's like a one page, one, one and a half page, page yeah. thing. Um, and then I do my outline, and depending mm-hmm. on the thing, if I'm doing a novel, my outline can be like 10 pages. Okay. Um, Does it go that long usually? It seems to. Okay. Um, so, sorry, let me, uh, let me clarify just a little bit. The thumbnail, is, at thumbnail yeah. point, do you have beginning, middle, end? No, um, she pitched those to us th- two, three weeks ago. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes mm-hmm. in my, th- I tr- usually try to have thumbnail in my, uh, uh, beginning, middle, and end in my thumbnails, but I don't always. Sometimes I don't know my ending until. But when I do- we finished the, uh, finished the cast about the the moon sailing mm-hmm. sailing around to the moon, um, did that take us to the point where you would then write your synopsis ish? From rough there sketch. I w- yes. From there, I would write my synopsis, which is my rough sketch. Okay. Okay. Um, and after my rough sketch, then I do the outline, which I think of as kind of the underpainting. Uh huh. And then I do the the painting itself, which mm-hmm. is writing the novel. Do you have like some things from your outline that you can tell us, like an average outline of yours? Do you have any like what are we looking at? Are we looking at paragraphs? Are we looking at bullet points? Are um, we looking both. at okay? Um, there are sometimes where my outline. Will be uh, will will have a scene including dialogue, but okay. it's a very very rough scene. And there are mm-hmm. other times where it will have things like Jane and Vincent discover a plot, um, or it, it, the one that I, I just did is uh, uh, Jane in, in which Jane establishes a method of glamour that she will that will become an important plot point later. Establish pickpocket, establish illuminated manuscripts. Right. I have okay. no idea how those play out yet. Right, right, but but. These are things that I know that need to happen. So from there, once I have my, my general shape, um, from there I, I flesh it out. So after I've got my synopsis, I break my synopsis apart uh, in, so that I take each sentence and I turn it into a scene. Um, and at this point, it's just, you know, it, it's still in bullet point form. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those scenes I'll come back and combine later. Some of those uh-huh. will get rolled together and, and actually be one scene. And if I'm looking at it and there's a scene that I'm excited about, I will jot it down more fully as we're talking. And others, I just, I just leave. Right. From there, what I look at is the scenes that I need to get from point B to point E. Okay. I look for my holes. Okay. 
Um, and I also look for the scene sequel thing. I look for the consequences to the scene. So if right. I've had this scene, then I need to make sure that that there is a, a consequence to it, that, that it continues to flow. And then I stop and I check my work. And I look at all of the scenes to make sure that they will advance the plot, they'll develop the character and the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I roll anything together. Um, I will also, at this point, um, often go back and look for adding specificity. Uh, so I will look to see whether or not I need to say, okay, well, this is going to happen at the Palazzo and it's going to be midday. Sometimes I'll leave those alone. Sometimes I feel like I need them. Um, and then once I've done that, um, then I start, like, once I've, once I've done that, then I start diving into the story. But I, what I don't do, and what you haven't heard me talk about, is that at this point I'm not breaking it apart into chapters. Mm-hmm. Because for me, chapters are a form of pacing. Okay. And that that is the very last thing I do because a chapter. Okay. Um, a chapter, if if you think about it uh, in terms of of, of mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. Um, a chapter is how you can build uh, tension by deciding whether you want to end at a cliffhanger. You know, right. saying Mr. Vincent entered with a gun. Mm-hmm. That's still mid scene, and if I stop my chapter there and then right. pick it up. In the next chapter, I can build tension and keep people going. So I decide my... Sorry, this explains why the scribbles of notes that I do, uh, talking about, talking notes to myself saying, okay, in the next three weeks of comics, these are the things I'm going to cover. And when I block them out in those notes, I will say, okay, you know, this is a Sunday strip and this is three days of weeklies and this is three days of weeklies. Well, a week of strips for me is a structure that is primarily for pacing. But the ideas that I am having are structures for story, Mm -hmm. for getting from point A to point B. And the point that I'm making is that by the time I get around to scripting those, I have always deviated from the daily structure and it's gone long or it's gone short or I've stuck something else in it. And now you have finally explained to me why for 10 years... uh, I've yet to get that right. I mean, it doesn't matter that I don't get it right because I can still script, but uh, it's because I'm trying to map uh, story structure onto pacing structure, and they are two different things. They're very different. It's very interesting. Mary, it's just ever... like the stupid puppetry episode. Mary starts to talk. <laughs> yeah. I learn something new. She sounds smart. I go home and rethink the way I write everything. <laughs> Mary, have you ever written um, something? so long form that you have multiple groups doing different things in different places and how does that affect your chapter and pacing do you write them chronologically like you're like all right i'm going to jump to this group now and this group now or yeah what i do there is um so so the just what i've just described is the way i would approach a single pov Uh uh-huh um if i'm doing a multiple pov i still do that same breakdown but then I do another pass where I, uh, so I still do the same breakdown mm-hmm. where I'm figuring out what happens and the order in which it happens. Uh-huh. And then I do another breakdown where I decide whose POV I'm in for each of okay. those. And in that, what I look at is who has the most at stake in any given mm-hmm. scene. And that's the person that I give the POV to. If, uh, when I go back and look at that, I'm finding that it's POV heavy to one person, I go back and adjust the motivations of the characters in scenes or add something that will give that character 
something at stake mm -hmm. so that I can have them have POV because I need to bring them back yeah. in for the reader. Yeah, you need to balance it. I, I see what you're doing there. That's good. Um, we'll stop and have Dan do our book of the week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He was going to do The Dragon Factory. The Dragon Factory by Jonathan Mayberry. This is the uh, second in the Joe Ledger series. And I think we've talked about the first one, which is Patient Zero. Uh, this is a series of action horror. Um, the first one, Patient Zero, is about zombies. Dragon Factory is about a group of uh, very, very scary geneticists who uh, have created a uh, series of plagues that they're about to unleash upon the world and are enforcing them with some very scary engineered monsters that they have. And so Joe Ledger and his team of hardcore military combat commando guys need to go take them out. Really exciting, kind of rip-roaring adventure, action, horror story. Uh, I love the whole series, and Dragon Factory is one of the best. And Jonathan Mayberry is very, very versatile. We had him on the show mm -hmm. when we recorded uh, last year at DragonCon, um, and, and he talked about range and versatility. So well worth your time to go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, start a 30-day free trial membership, and you can pick up uh, the Dragon Factory for free and Patient Zero for 30% off. There you go. Um, Mary, did we get through your what you wanted yeah. to do? Let's talk about how you would approach doing it for Where's the story. Where's the part where you spend 20 years developing a language? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's all my pre-work. That's right. Okay. okay. I, I actually, before we from get Tolkien. specific, I have, one, I have a, a question again okay. about the process here. You talked about the outline as an underpainting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, we, we, all, we always get a lot of questions about very specific process notes. So what I want to know is when you have that written out, say in a, in a document on your computer, does the book go in over that document and you're like, okay, this scene that is bullet points, I'm going to expand it, or do you write it out in a separate document altogether? I actually, I write it in the same document. Um, so very slowly that outline document will be converted into right. a final draft. But I also keep a clean copy of the outline document as well, um, so that... I have a, a quick reference back to things. It's a separate layer in Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically it is. You've painted over the top of it. I mean, mm, that's yeah. how when people do digital painting, that's how the underpainting works. Yeah. You don't destroy it. You, you work over the top of it so you can always keep an eye on it. And sometimes you make vanish all the stuff on top so you can remember what that uh, underpainting looked like. Yeah. Um, cool. So so I do write over it. Uh, in part, that is because when I finish a scene, um, it keeps me from, some, from, say, from starting into the next thing based on how I'm feeling in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, it, it allows me to, to go, oh, no, 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 what needs to happen next is. And if the thing I'm feeling in the moment is more interesting, then I can check it against my work. And, and where I'm planning for things to go and see whether or not it is, in fact, more interesting or if it's going to be an unnecessary detour. Okay. Cool. So can we take your thumbnail yeah. of the, the moon story 
to the next, which is the 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 rough sketch. The yeah. Um, so I actually started um, started doing that during our break. Um, so and and because this is intended to be a short story, uh-huh. the rough sketch is going to remain very very short. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Um, so you're shooting for what that half a page maybe. Um, actually, for short story, I will often just stay with a paragraph. Okay. Okay. Um, although, it, it, actually, that's not true. There's a couple of things in here that I would that I would break apart if mm-hmm. I were doing this. Um, so, so here's here's my thumbnail. Um, on a tidally locked world, an explorer sails over the curve of the world and sees the sees the moon for the first time. Okay, that's my first scene. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, would so, you add to your thumbnail anything about character? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, I would already start because that's going to affect everything else, character motivation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, what I would say, I would, I would make a decision. Up, up to this point, I've been saying he, but I actually, yeah. um, I do like the idea of it being a woman. So, um, so I would come up with a name right now. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, but I'm not going to in the moment because yes. <laughs> that's too much. You don't want to lock that in. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, like Howardina? No. <laughs> Vetoed. Ella. Vetoed? That's a terrible name. <laughs> V-E-T-O-A-D. It's actually part amphibian. <laughs> and it's pronounced All right. so, so, moving on. Moving yes. on. <laughs> so, so that, that's one thing that I would, I would, um, I would take the on a tidally locked world and explorer sails over the curve of the world for the first time, sees the moon for the, oh, see, sees the moon for the first time, and I would, I would change that because I can't start with on a tidally locked world because she doesn't know that. Right. Right. Yeah. So I would say... The explorer sees the moon for the first... Or name. Sees the moon for the first time, but thinks it's um, it's land. Yeah. So sees light... uh, Yeah. Is on the boat. It's, you know, they're sailing at night. Someone calls her up on, on... Dakin says, I think we're approaching land. We can see the glow on the horizon. Okay. So that's probably where I would, where mm-hmm. I would start. And, and, and I would end with the question um, of her thinking, that doesn't look like any light I've ever seen. Right. Um, so I would start by raising the question. Okay. Um, and then, um, then I've also got that, uh, you know, escaping... Um, so I would then have to have the next thing that I've got is the coastal city he visits or she visits is completely different culturally. So that I would have to, to yeah. break apart. Into what type of culture? What type of culture? Where's how, the conflict you know, there? Yeah. How how are they received upon landing? Do I mm-hmm. want to show the landing scene? Right. Um, and so this is where I start breaking it apart. Right. And you're going to go scene by scene. Mm-hmm. A scene, a sentence maybe for each scene. Right. Okay. Excellent. Um so maybe what we should do is have you actually do this. Yep, and let people see it. And let people see it. And if we can, post it in the liner notes or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, this is a really interesting method of outlining. It's actually somewhat close to the way um, Kevin J. Anderson has said that he outlines. Mm. Um, because he likes to paint that under sketch and then actually bring it out. And so in a given book, you will basically have all of your scenes before you start. Um, at mm-hmm. least a line or two about yeah. each and every scene, um, which is which is very different. You're actually more of a one drafter than I am. You're more of an outliner than I am, and that's nice because I've always been the outliner on the show. But I'm only <laughs> like you know a few shades more outlining. Like I, I call myself a fairly hardcore outliner. Really, what I am is a hardcore world builder. 
A lot of world building notes ahead of time. My outline's three pages for a book, not 10 pages. Right. And I write long books. Um, yes. And so while I do outline, I'm not nearly this extensive. So I think you need to take the seat of hardcore outliner <laughs> and I need to move toward the more centrist and then Dan and Howard can be these crazy seat, seat of the pantsers. Yeah, here, here's the thing that, mm -hmm. uh, that, um, I, that will often make other writers hate me. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I do a lot of my work, my pre-work, mm -hmm. this takes a lot of time. It'll take me a while right. to come up with that. But then when I actually sit down to write the novel, because right. I know where I'm going, I wrote Without a Summer in 39 days. Right, right. And I have done that before. Um, Steelheart, which I, mm -hmm. I just sold. I actually was trying to sell to Hollywood um, before, trying to get a Hollywood movie moving to see if I could, you know, use that and leverage kind of a one-two punch where the book and the film come out at the same time. Um, and to do that, I wrote out one of yours exactly like this. There was at least a line for each chapter. Mm -hmm. Usually it was actually a paragraph for each chapter. And so it was a much longer outline. And when I actually wrote the book, I stuck to that almost 100%. There's little things I changed, but paragraph by paragraph, you can follow that and say, wow, there's this chapter, there's mm -hmm. this chapter, there's this chapter. And it worked really well for that book. Yeah. Now, now I will say that I also will feel very free to go back and make yes. adjustments. Like mm -hmm. in, uh, actually in Without a Summer, I had a scene that I had already written and I realized that I needed more conflict. Right. And so I looked at it and I thought, okay, well, what can I do that's going to advance my plot and build character mm -hmm. and, and establish the world a little bit more? And I decided that they needed to rescue a cold monger, which is a magic form. Right. And so I went and I added that into the outline and then I looked at the outline. I'm like, okay, once I add him in, he's going to need to reappear. There's going to need to be consequences right. from that. So I adjusted the outline forward, kept writing for a little bit, and then went back and wrote that scene. Okay. All right. Well, that was very well done. Thank you very much, Mary. Um, our writing prompt this week. Let's force you. Oh, Howard, go ahead. Oh, uh, sorry, I was I, I wasn't going to do anything having to do with the outlining. No, that's I was okay. Gonna, I was going to go terminological. <laughs> Uh, give us a magic system in which the thumbnail and the underpainting and the imagery that goes on top of it are somehow okay. somehow magical. Okay. And, magical and maybe you're using paint. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're drawing in the air. I don't know. But, uh, but take that layered concept and turn it into magic. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been Ryan Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Hi all, this is Brandon. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. I just wanted to give you a special reminder. Audible has my novella Legion up for free in audiobook. And so, since they're a sponsor of the podcast, I thought I'd give an extra shout out to it. They actually have, if you go to www.audible.com slash Sanderson, uh, they have Legion up there. You, there's no trial. There's no strings attached. You just get it for free. So I hope you guys go get a, give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can go to audible.com slash Sanderson to download it and give it a try. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, 
And I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.